Good morning, Ninth Street. Uh, we uh, are glad to be able to join with you once again this morning. Uh, and uh, this time we uh, are going to be in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open to the book of 1 Samuel in your Old Testament. And uh, that's where we're going to be here in just uh, a few moments. But I, uh, if you happen to be joining us for the first time this morning, um, we are just getting started into a 52-week uh, journey uh, through 52 core truths and core verses that will help you to know the Bible and be more, be more confident in your faith. And uh, this is all laid out for you in this book we've been kind of following called Core 52. Um, and uh, our encouragement to you is if you don't have one of these books yet, uh, please uh, go on our website, ninthstreetcc.com, and you can order one there through the uh, home church page, or else you can call the church office this week, 392-4685, and we will make sure we get you one as soon as we possibly can. Um, and each week uh, we're learning and growing through a different theme that is core to your understanding and appreciating of God's Word. And so this week we are in chapter 7 um, of called Kingdom. And so we will be there in just a moment. We're going to talk about the king, the kind, excuse me, the kind of king that Jesus is uh, to us and the kind of kingdom citizen God desires for you to be. And so if you have a book, I hope that you took the time this week to read through the, the materials and the assignments that are there. Um, at the end of each chapter, you will find an assignment that takes like about 10, 15 minutes every day uh, to do that over five days. Um, you will have a, a reading uh, about the, the theme that helps you understand that and unpack that. There is a key memory verse that we want you to learn. We will go over that in just a second. Um, We'll read the text that the theme comes from so that you get an understanding of that. There are other verses in Scripture to meditate on that theme. And then there's an opportunity for you to apply that to your life. And so um, also if you go to the website, uh, core52.org, and, and just fill, create that free uh, online uh, uh, account, uh, is the word I'm looking for, uh, you will have access to, to more videos, to more ideas that will help you memorize that verse, understand this idea, and apply this theme to your life in more practical ways. And so we hope that you will jump in with that with both feet and, uh, and enjoy that and be blessed with that. And so let's look at our key verse here for the day. Uh, it's from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. This was the memory verse that we were encouraged to work on and, and learn this week. And so um, this is God speaking to the prophet Samuel um, at a very key moment in the life and the existence of, of Israel. It simply says this, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the hearts. Let's say that again together. If you know it, say it with me. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the hearts. As people, we tend to be such visual people, focused on the external circumstances of a person that we see. And we oftentimes lose sight of or don't take into account or the time to look and listen what's going on inside of a person. Have you ever prejudged a person before hearing their story? I bet you have. I have many times. And then you take the time to look deeper into that person or you listen to their story and you see what God may be doing in their life. And you kind of have to chastise yourself and remind yourself that, that it's, it's, this verse is true. That God is always working on the inside of a person. And, and sometimes the external appearance, the color of the skin, the language they speak, the clothes they wear, the, the way they appear, 
that may not be all the story. Oftentimes there is more going on. So when you and I do prejudge people, it's that old word prejudice. And that is a trait that God does not find attractive in us. And so this verse is a reminder for us to, to pause, to look, to listen, to think, and to look to the heart of what God is doing in the life of an individual. Because God is not one who just judges based on circumstantial things to the surface appearance. He is always looking to the heart of a man or woman. And that is illustrated well in this story of when God chooses and anoints David to be the new king in Israel. He will eventually replace Saul. And I say eventually because from the time David is anointed, just a few verses after our memory verse here in 1 Samuel 16, it will take 12 to 15 years of waiting in hard and painful, fearful, desperate circumstances for David to finally become the king. It was a quarantine on steroids, we might say. And David's heart was shaped by that quarantine for the good. It certainly made him struggle with a lot of different things, both positive and negative, but he came out of that better and by the time it was over, he was prepared to lead, lead Israel as king with the kind of heart that God most desired his king to have. Now, you and I are beginning to understand uh, the pain, maybe the, uh, the little bit of the struggle of David and that whole idea of being quarantined. Many of us have been cooped up now for a week or two, and, and we're beginning to feel the effects of it. I hope that you're able to look in your life and see some good things that maybe has come out of this. Hidden blessings, that maybe time with family, uh, less, time in your, less things in your schedule, and there's more time to do things that may be good and productive for your life. But we are certainly feeling the negative of that as well. We're seeing the pain. We're wrestling with the grief of things that are kind of taken away from us for a time. Now, last week, I showed you some memes that uh, kept me laughing during that first week. And, and this week, as we all kind of felt the effects of that, I began to see several days in quarantine memes pop up. And, and I kind of snagged several of those to share with you here this morning. And maybe you could relate to this just going over a week's time. Uh, how about this? Day one, we all start well, right? I have stocked up on enough non-perishable food and supplies to last me for months, maybe years, so that I can remain in isolation for as long as it takes. Day one plus 45 minutes. I'm now in the supermarket because I wanted a Twix. <laughs> day two, or day one to day two. Quarantine day one, I have enough food to last me for weeks. Quarantine day two, I have eaten all my food, including the toilet paper. Um, Day three, uh, many of you are wrestling with this schooling at home thing. And a couple of these uh, I appreciated. Homeschooling day three, they all graduated. Hashtag done. All right. And this one is my favorite one, though. Um, I saw my neighbor Tammy out early this morning scraping the My Kid is a Terrific Student sticker off her minivan. I guess that first week of homeschooling didn't go so well. But then day four, the boredom begins to set in. Day four of social distancing, stuck up, struck up a conversation with the spider today. Seems nice. He's a web designer. Day five, we start to act a little bit weird. Um, day five quarantine, I found a dead fly. And this should be a contest that we do amongst the church. If you're quarantined, find a dead fly and see who can come up with the create, most creative artwork uh, for that. Day six, we begin to get on each other's nerves. Um, my wife is out getting the garden ready. I'm not sure what she's planting. Potatoes, maybe. I'm going to look at the shape of that. And day seven, at home, and the dog is looking at me like, see, this is why I chew up the furniture. All that, and it's just a week's time that's passed. 
the whole thing starts to feel like it'll never end sometimes. And someone shared this last one. I've now been alive in six decades. The 80s, the 90s, 2000s, the 2010s, the 2020s, and March. Right? March has been a long month. There's been a lot going on. Now I want you to imagine, though, David's quarantine of not a dozen days or even months, a dozen or more years that he was quarantined in a way in which it put him in a very hard and difficult place. But those years that shaped his life and his heart, they were, they were very much a school where God taught and tested and tried and stretched and broke and built David back into the man that would lead with the heart that God desired him to. So look at our memory verse again. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the, the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the hearts. In that verse, there is a king who is being rejected, and there is a king who is being chosen. The king that is being rejected is Saul. Now, if you go back and read Saul's story in the chapters at the beginning of verse, 1 Samuel, you begin to find that Saul was one of those guys that had a lot of things going for him. He had the outward appearance, very handsome man. He was tall, stood out from the crowd in many ways. He had a good family line. He began a little bashful, but he was eventually very wise and commanding of people's attention and loyalty. But if you did the reading this week, you found that his heart, while the appearance was good on the outside, his heart was not a heart that God could lead. You find that Saul did the exact thing that God told him not to do. And you find Saul not doing the very things, the very specific things God told him to do. His obedience was rooted, his disobedience, excuse me, was rooted in people's opinions being more important to him than God's commands. And, and Saul promoting himself through manipulation in his own means, in his own wisdom and skill, rather than resting on God's approval and exalting him in, his, in God's ways. Saul always blamed others when he failed, never owning his flaws and sins. He always had an excuse. He always had someone to push the blame upon. And so God rejected Saul as king of his people because he had a heart that God could not lead. But the king that is being chosen in this verse and being anointed is David. I want you to listen with me to the verses that surround our memory verse from 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1 down to the end of that chapter. And I just want you to read the circumstances from which he came and was chosen and called to be king. Because he's not the guy that you would first pick. He's the guy that, that is often overlooked. In fact, in this very passage, he will be that. Listen to what it says in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel says, said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Well, then take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to, to sacrifice to the Lord. 
consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab, the oldest son, and thought to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look, and here's our memory verse, right? Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart's Then Jesse called another son, Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's out keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, We'll send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in, and now he, and now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And I love that last phrase, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, I would encourage you in the next few days to continue reading on in that story on your own time. Because what begins to play out in the next dozen to 15 years is this tension between Saul and David. Saul is rejected, is a rejected king, but he continues to reign and hold power. David is anointed, but gets no throne. Saul's anger at his rejection drives him literally crazy. He spends much of his time plotting and hunting David down to kill him, to eliminate the threat to his throne. Immediately following our text, the paths of David and and, and Paul and Saul, excuse me, continue to cross in numerous ways. The the text goes on to read in the next chapter that Saul begins to to have uh, bouts of madness um, and even an evil spirit, the Bible says. That David, because of his skill with his harp and his lyre, his musical instruments, his his ability to sing and, and do well at that, was invited in to Saul's courts. And whenever Saul would have these bouts of madness, David would, would play and sing and, and to calm Saul's spirit. David then, in, in chapter 17, has his famous encounter with Goliath, where he, he takes out the, the giant with a, with a stone from his sling. And David's popularity begins to grow. But even as David becomes more known and, and more popular, so does Saul's anger and jealousy toward him. He sees him as a threat, and he works with all of his might to eliminate David at every chance. Now, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a, a spear with me here today, uh, but I think this tension is best illustrated by what I'm holding here. This is, again, not a spear, but a javelin borrowed from our local track team. Um, I have a picture, I think, of an ancient spear, just if you didn't know what that looked like. But uh, certainly, um, this could be a deadly weapon, just as a spear could be, in the hands of a person filled with jealousy and anger and rage. And so what I would like to do here for a few moments is to experiment, uh, if you would let me, and hopefully allow the spear it uh, to lead us in this idea. And if you have other spear puns, feel free to, to comment and show those, share those with me. But this spear seems to be Saul's weapon of choice. Um, He has it with him at all times, it seems. And he uses it regularly to try to kill David, 
For example, in chapter 18, uh, you read these verses, the scene that we just talked about. Remember, Saul is in his palace and David is playing his music. The next day, a, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he, raged, he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hands. And Saul hurled the spear and he, and he threw it, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. And you think, well, once is enough, but you go to the next chapter, it happens again. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse 9. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with his spear in his hands. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. You think, well, that's enough. But you go to chapter 20, and, and one of David's best friends is a man by the name of Jonathan, who happens to be Saul's son. And Saul, uh, Jonathan goes to Saul to, to, to be an intermediary between David and, and try to calm his dad down to realize that David is, is hard as good. He means Saul no harm. Um, but even in that chapter, chapter 20, verse 33, Saul hurls his spear at him to strike even his own son. And so Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. You get the idea, right? Saul's spear was an instrument of selfishness, self-preservation, and self-exaltation. He used it to attack any and all threats because he was only looking out for himself. But if you keep reading, you come to this beautiful chapter in chapter 26. Saul has now hunted David down with 3,000 of his, of his fighting men. And the army, makes, uh, of, of, the army of Saul makes camp in this valley. And David and his group of ragtag soldiers come upon Saul and their army asleep in the valley. And Saul is now very vulnerable. David is in the position to act if he chooses to, to seek revenge, to finally put an end to this years and years and years of, of hostility and, and, and animosity against him. But watch what David does when he has a chance to hold the spear in his hands. It says this in chapter 26, verse 7. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army laying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Abishai is one of his commanders of his, of his little army he has. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. And so again, what's Abishai? Abishai wants to be Saul, right? He wants to use his weapon uh, to exact revenge. But David says to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and to be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him down, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. Do you see the difference in David's attitude? God will take care of that. That is not my place. It goes on in verse 11. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. And so David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because the dead sleep the Lord had made fall upon them. And so David leaves that valley with Saul's army, and he goes to the other side of the valley, and, and then he yells to awaken Saul. 
And he shows him his spear, and he reveals his heart, a heart of respect, a heart that trusts in God, a heart that seeks only peace with Saul. For David, that spear that in Saul's hands was an act of vengeance and selfishness. For David, that spear was a tool of peace, not a weapon of revenge. No one would have blamed David. Even his own commanders thought, this is your chance to eliminate Saul once and for all. But David's heart was different. And, and so the spear represents that difference of heart. In his book um, that was recommended to you at the end of your reading this week, that's a beautiful little book uh, by Gene Edwards called A Tale of Three Kings, A Study of Brokenness. It makes the case that, that David diligently worked to not become who Saul was. David recognized the ugliness and the evil that lied inside Saul's heart. And David recognized that if he did what Saul did, that he would become who Saul was. And so David knew that that heart like Saul could even live within him. And so he prayerfully worked and acted in ways that would keep him from becoming who Saul was. And probably a lot of us, sometimes when we face an enemy, when we face someone who we feel is attacking us, it's quite easy for us to slide into becoming exactly who or what we hated in that other person. And so David decided that he would wait on God to put him on the throne. He would not exalt himself in that way. And, and I hope hearing that was a good and beneficial experience, if I could throw one more spear pun out there for you. And so here's the gist of all this. If I could summarize what we want to see out of this text and this story here today is this. When you examine the kind of king that God desired for the kingdom of Israel, you also get to discover the kind of kingdom citizens God desires for the kingdom of Christ. They are one and the same. The heart that God looked for in a king in Israel is the same heart that he longs to see in the hearts of Christ's people today. And so three observations that I just want you to see with me this morning um, just about our hearts and about where we, we land in all this. Number one, I think David shows us what God was looking for. David is lifted up as the example. He fulfills the verse, right, that, that God is looking for, for a heart. He looks at that heart, and David had the heart that God wanted him to have. You see, David's goal was never his own fame like Saul's was. It was for God's fame. David sought after God's heart in a number of places, it says in Scripture. A.W. Tozier is a, a Christian writer, and he once wrote a little book called The Incredible Christian, Marks of a Spiritual Man. And in one of those articles, he, he kind of went through um, a series of qualities of hearts that I think David characterizes very well. Things like this. He pursued holiness over happiness. Who would stick in a painful, difficult place like David did when he's being chased and threatened and slandered by Saul and, and, and just everything he loved was taken away from him? Who would stay in that situation? He wasn't happy. It wasn't happy circumstances. But David did. Because he wanted to be where God wanted him to be. Whether that may, meant his circumstances felt happy and good or not. He wanted to be holy in God's sight. Another one, he wanted to see the honor of God advance through his life, even if it meant personal dishonor or loss. He was willing to carry his own cross. He tried to see everything from God's point of view. Uh, again, he's trying, even though some of those verses, that God's going to take care of this. Saul's time will come in God's time, not in mine. 
And so he tries to look at the bigger picture of this. He was willing to die rather than live wrong. Uh, desire to see others advance at his expense. David was continually exalting other people around him, so even sometimes at his own personal loss. And simply the idea of seeing things from an eternal perspective, the big picture of things, again, God's viewpoint. And so you and I are called to cultivate a heart like that. And how does that happen? It doesn't happen in simple and shallow ways. Oftentimes difficult and challenging times, even like the ones that we find ourselves in now, our fields, our schools, where God can cultivate the heart. He can draw things out of us that are good. He can draw things to the surface that are, that are evil and bad and, and need to be confessed and dealt with and, and brought before the Lord. Um, this is a time when, in our culture when, uh, when we get things are changed and things are taken away from us that our hearts are really revealed. And so perhaps, just like David went through a school that was hard and challenging but changing, Perhaps this is a time where God wants to cultivate that heart in us and you as well. And so David shows us what God was looking for. But Saul, on the flip side of that, shows us what God was not looking for. Saul gives the negative example of what God does not want to see in his kingdom citizens. God wanted a broken vessel. A heart that, was, that God was looking for was a humble heart that hungered to honor God above all personal ambition and interest. It would hold loosely the positions of power and authority. Don't you see Saul just grasping his spear, grasping at the throne, grasping at power, grasping at control? But David, throughout his life, he held all of those things so loosely. So often you see David just say, if it's the Lord's will, it's fine. If he takes this away from me, that's fine. If he's done with me in this position, that's fine. He just held things so loosely. But Saul is the opposite of all this. He had a proud heart that hungered for personal honor and the pursuit of his own ambitions and interests first. He grasped tightly again to power and authority, and his spear is an emblem of this. But David lived this out in imperfect ways. He refused to throw the spear back. And again, in that book that, uh, that I mentioned before, one of the things that struck me in that book was that every time a spear was thrown at David, he never threw it back. He simply fled. He simply left the situation. He allowed God to deal with all of that. He never sought to divide the kingdom, which he could have. He never sought to leverage his, leverage his popularity to build his own dominion. He didn't do that. He simply faded into the shadows and allowed God to exalt him and put him on the throne when God was ready to do that. And so David is the example of what God wants. Saul is the example of what God does not want. But there is another heart that kind of lingers behind this story that if you fast forward several centuries, that kind of appears, and that's the broken King Jesus. So I want you to see this lastly, that Jesus stands before us as the beautifully broken King we should always be looking toward. Now, we haven't talked much about Jesus yet today, even though this is a series called Real Jesus, but he's been in the background the whole time. David had the kind of heart that God was looking for, but David was also a very flawed and broken man. He was prone to wander into sin just like we are, and many of David's sins and stumbles are, are quite well known. He was no perfect man, but he always had a heart that hungered for God even when he failed. And so that was a beautiful trait about him, but yet God needed more. God just didn't need a, a, an imperfect heart. He, he needed a perfect life, and that's where Jesus comes in. 
There was another king who would come later from the line of David, that person Jesus, who would have both the hearts of David for God and also the perfect character that God needed in his Redeemer. The real Jesus ruled with self-sacrifice and, and surrender for the good of God and others. He always used authority only to serve other people and lift them up. And so he asked his kingdom citizens to be the same way. I don't know if you saw this story, but this caught my attention of just an example of that kingdom citizens are always at our best. They always look the best to God and to anyone else watching when we are like Jesus in this trait of self-sacrifice, of surrendering ourselves for the good of other people. There was a priest in, in, um, in Spain, um, excuse me, in Italy, excuse me, uh, who was uh, served in, in some of the hardest, part hits, hit, the hardest hit parts of Italy uh, during the corona outbreak there. Uh, his name uh, was Don uh, Berardelli, and he was a priest, and he had served for many, many years. He had a pre-existing condition which required him to have a ventilator that he would use in, from time to time uh, for his health. But when he came down with the virus and heard of another who was in a situation where with the help of a ventilator, their life would probably be spared, um, he gave away that ventilator to help them at his own cost. And he died on March 15th. But that's the heart of Jesus, isn't it? And that's the broken, beautifully broken king who always was giving away, always holding his own life loosely for the good of other people. The way that Jesus, the way of Jesus is, is the way of David, and the way of David is the way of Jesus, not Saul. During communion, we ask you to read these verses, and I want to read them again, because I think they just highlight for us the character and the trait of, when we think of Jesus as a king, what do we mean by that? This is what it looks like for Jesus to be king. It says this in 1 Peter 2, 21 and following. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. In other words, be like him. It goes on to say, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And finally, these beautiful words in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Perhaps it is a time in your life for you to surrender yourself to Jesus as well. Perhaps it's time for you to put aside the Saul that lives inside of you and to embrace the David heart, the one that is surrendered, that, that's, that's submissive, obedience, willing and hungry to know God and his will and to do that will to the best of your ability so that God is honored and, and, and you are just his servant. Today is a great day to do that. And we would love to talk with you about that, about the decision of your heart as you think about this and where your heart is today. Jesus has done so much for you. He has poured out his life that he could have claimed and, and stayed in his positions of, of power and authority and, and safety, but yet he came and he suffered. He went through his own um, quarantine time here on earth where he suffered, where life was hard for him, but all for the purpose of redeeming us, of exalting and lifting us up from our sin. And so if you need to reach out, you can do that through our website. We would love that conversation with you or our phone. Uh, again, 392-4685. We would love to talk with you about that. 
Uh, so I would just ask for you today to pray with me, and then we will have a couple of closing thoughts here as we, as we dismiss here today. Lord, our God, we come today thankful for the example of Jesus, thankful even for the example of David, flawed as it might have been. Lord, we are trained and accustomed in this world to think of kings as being people who, who draw power to themselves, who, who hoard resources to themselves, who, who make everything about themselves. But yet that's not the way of Jesus. And David knew that and he modeled that so well, that the heart that you long to see in us is one that is centered on your fame and our humble service. It is centered on trusting you to work out the details of our life as we simply obey and follow you. It's one of, of giving away and holding loosely to the things of this life instead of grasping and holding tightly what we can get in our life. And so, Father, in each one of us, there's a Saul. And so we pray that you would help us to, to put that man down and to allow the humble, broken heart of David to live and emerge and, and thrive within us because we want to be like Jesus. We want the world to see Jesus alive in us. Father, today we come and we uh, lift up many around us, and maybe even ourselves today, that are hurting and struggling. We are fearful. Uh, we are nervous um, with all the things going on around us. God, I know there are hurting hearts, and we are isolated from each other, and, and that hurts. We miss people. We miss being together. We miss those things, and that begins to take its toll on us over time. So, Father, we ask that you would comfort and, and work in each of our hearts. We pray especially for those maybe who are hospitalized or in homes and, and are completely isolated from us. And we just pray, God, that you would fill in those gaps where we cannot be. Father, we pray for businesses and, and workers and people who are nervous about economic things. And, Lord, we know that um, we don't understand all the things that happen, and, uh, but we do trust you. We know that you are a provider, that you care for us. And that in your ways, in your times, that you will watch out for your, your people. And so, Father, help our faith to be strong in you. And so, Father, we pray also just for the stress that times like these can kind of bring upon our relationships. Um, and we are cooped up together in ways that we're not used to. And, and that can begin to add a strain um, as well as some joy. But God, give us peace. Help us to see the blessings of one another. Help us to learn to serve and appreciate and and, and help one another through this time. May it be a time where we come on the other side more in love and more in friendship and, and walking stronger together because we have seized this moment well. And so we love you. Uh, thank you uh, for our king. And uh, may we be good citizens of his kingdom. Thank you that you reign and that you rule, that ultimately everything is, is in your hands and we don't have to worry or fear or fret. And so be our peace in this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before I leave you today, I just want to encourage you with a couple of things here as we finish today. Um, the first is this. Um, many of you gave uh, through our online giving last week, and you worked to, to sign up for that. We appreciate that gift, and we continue to encourage you to do that. Um, there's a lot of needs that are going to be around us, and so the more we're able to give, the more we can help with those needs around us. And so um, if you have trouble with that, give us a call. Again, the church office is 392-4685. Um, the website is ninthstreetcc.com. You can find all of that information right there on the front page. Um, secondly, again, just continue to be the church to one another. Reach out to each other. Uh, look out for each other. 
Uh, think about the people that you live around, that you know. Uh, if God puts somebody on your heart and your mind, um, don't, don't ignore that. Reach out to them and care for them. And last but not least, uh, we invite you uh, for our next chapter with our Core 52. We'll be in chapter 23 uh, this coming week as we prepare for Palm Sunday and thinking about the cross, page 154. And I uh, hope that you'll turn to that. You'll, get, you'll pull out your book and you'll allow yourself to, uh, to work through those exercises at the end of that chapter as you learn, you think about the beauty and the story of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Again, if you don't have a book, holler, we'll get you one, and uh, we'll get you set up to be able to do that. So we hope that you'll have a great Sunday. Enjoy the sunshine, the beauty of the spring around you, and um, God bless you and bless us as a church in this time. Have a great day.